something outside. What is that? This is Gunnar Monson. With me today as my co-host is Julie Wrench. Julie, how are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. I was able to go um, take Jake, my uh, or my girlfriend's son, with me to Squatch Fest this weekend. Um, and it was the second year that they've had it up there in uh, Longview, Washington. And I guess there was a lot. I, I didn't make it up there last year, but this they, from what I'm hearing, it, it was a lot of more people up there this year than there was last year. Um, I can tell you that vendor area was packed like sardines at some times. It was really um, – it seems like they've almost outgrown the venue that they're in. A lot of great speakers. Uh, Dr. Jeff Meldron spoke. Our our own Shane Corson uh, spoke along with Derek Randalls awesome. representing the Olympic Project and talking about the, the ongoing NEST project. Cliff Berrickman, Tom Powell, and uh, the ho- uh, it was hosted by my good friend that I hadn't seen in a while, Guy Edwards. So it was oh, yeah. awesome to see Guy yeah. uh, um, in his traditional-looking uh, lumberman outfit of red checkers and and mm-hmm. uh, red, red red ski hat. And Jake and I were joking about whether, you know, if we o- opened Guy's closet, whether or not it'd just be a rack of, you know, the same outfit right. over and over again. So yeah. it's the only thing I've ever seen event. Good. But it was a great event. Um, also, David Ellis uh, presented Ron Moorhead. Plays at second year. Great, uh, great event. A lot of fun. And I got to go. Usually, I'm, you know, when I go to a Bigfoot event, a lot of times I'm schlepping coffee but i was able to to just go and enjoy the event this time and and it was it was a good time plus they had some good beer there oh i heard about that oh did you yeah <laughs> so, i heard about that jane and i did recently go out with uh chris spencer and rebecca slick and todd hale to the nest site up in washington and had a good time and one of the reasons we went was jane was wanted to collect some more samples from one of the nests that had not been touched previously. And if you're, if you're looking uh, on our web Facebook group, you'll see that he's posting pictures of some of the hairs. He said there's quite a bit of, of suspect hair. He's now been, mm. you know, he's, he's gone through a ton of the mater- nest materials and he kind of now knows what the suspect hair looks like. So, and I know that he'll send a bunch in. Uh, he and I are actually planning another outing because it's now been over two years. These nests have been out there, and uh, 
they're starting to degrade real bad. So he really wants to get out there and collect as much of the material and bring it back uh, as possible before uh, nature takes complete mm-hmm. complete wow. the task of uh, reclaiming the forest. So, so with us today, our special guest is Mr. Charlie Raymond. Charlie is the founder and lead investigator of the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization. Um, he's an active field researcher, has been doing it for a long time. Um, I think he started the the Kentucky organization in like 97. So um, he's he's now qualified as an old-time Bigfooter. <laughs> um, so get Charlie on the show. Charlie, welcome to Monster X Radio. Hey, guys. Hey, Thanks Charlie. How are you today, hey, buddy? Uh, Julie? I'm wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, we've had Charlie on the show, but it's been a while. It's mm-hmm. time to get an update of what's going yeah. on in Kentucky. For the Monster X listeners that aren't familiar with you, Charlie, can you give us a little bit of background on you? Uh, sure. Um, I'm an IT professional. Uh, I've been also a teacher for about 25 years. Moved to Kentucky about 20 years ago, and I started the organization for two reasons. One was a selfish reason. I, I wanted to know where the Bigfoots were. <laughs> for my own personal, you know, agenda. And then I wanted to also try to gather enough evidence to possibly establish laws to protect them and their habitat. Your goal is to prove these animals exist. You do say that you come down in in the flesh and blood uh, camp. Is that correct? Uh, That is correct. And I, I do take a few paranormal reports, and um, I'll add that to my database. Uh, People see some strange orbs uh, right before or after a sighting. You know, I add that to the report. I mean, you're not editing people's experience. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, people saw what they saw, and, and whether or not it's related directly to Bigfoot, their big report, it is odd that there are some there are some strange things that get get reported. What have you been up to recently? Um, I know that you've had some recent activity, some interesting things happen while out in the field. You are an actually active Bigfoot researcher. If you've ever seen Charlie, he's probably one of the few Bigfoot researchers to probably hold his own against a Bigfoot. <laughs> actually, uh, the contrary. I've, I've been close many times, and every time I chickened out. Um, I, you know, when you hear a tree pushed over or you have a large tree break or, or growl or foot stomps, a lot of people say, oh, why, why don't you stay and why don't you take your phone out and videotape them? And like, that's BS. I mean, when you know the size of these creatures and when they had enough of you in their area, you, you know it's time to leave. There's, there's some, there's this innate, built-in fight or flight that kicks in when when you hear a huge tree break. You know something big has to break that tree, and you know they're not happy. So you, you don't stick around, and a lot of times that's happened to me, and I've I've left the area. And I, I probably, probably could have had a sighting. I probably could have videotaped something, but, 
yeah, it's it's not as easy as people say say it is. You you say that you know that maybe you could have, but then then you never know. It's going to be a found footage kind of situation <laughs> that they find you. Right. Where's Where's Charlie? I mean, it, it is. It's. I mean, it. There's. There's some people that push the the idea that we're dealing with you know this forest friends and and mm-hmm. that they're mm-hmm. very benign and and. And that's not been your experience. It, some there's a lot of reports that I've heard of, and and Shane um, Corson's report. It, there's a lot of aggression in some of these reports. Sometimes it's you know fun and games, and you you get interactions with them, and everything seems fine, and then all of a sudden they get they get tired. Uh, they either leave, and everything stops. Or they get aggressive. You know, there's other other cases where I've taken witnesses who are who are gifting and um, they build this relationship up with them, and that's that's doable. But I think that's doable over a long period of time. That trust that you can establish with them. But you know, there's a lot of times when they just get fed up, and they're they're like people. They they have different personalities and different temperaments, and you might come across an angry one, and you just you just know it's time to leave. <laughs> I mean, animals have different personalities. You know, dogs have different personalities. Some are very aggressive and some are very passive. I mean, it's – and if we're dealing with an animal, it seems to make sense that some would be more friendly, you know, more benign, and others would be more aggressive. And the idea of one of these creatures, you know, a 10-foot-tall – thousand pound ape for lack of a better term being upset in the woods if you've ever seen video of like gorillas that are uh, Mm -hmm. angry i mean it gives you an idea and then then you take them and extend that out to a 10 foot creature so yeah the idea is is uh, pretty crazy and you know that just happened um about two weeks ago i've been I've been going to this location where there's been dozens of eyewitness encounters, and I started doing some knocks and whoops. And from my experience and some other researchers I work closely with who analyze recordings, a lot of knocks come with the whoops and combinations. And so I'll do knocks and whoops together. I'll do multiple knocks, and I've had great luck with that. And this was happening at this location, and it happened, actually happened three different weekends, the same location in the middle of the day, and I just knew there was a, a day watcher or a sentry, you know, maybe standing guard while the, the rest of the clan was sleeping, if you will. And um, I had a great uh, interaction with them, and then uh, towards the end, I heard a, a large tree or branch break, and then I heard heavy footfalls running. And I, I couldn't tell if the running was coming towards me or away hmm. from me. But, but I, I turned and ran to my wife, who was sitting in the truck about 50 yards away. Uh, no, not 50 yards, about 50 feet away across the creek. And I ran to her. I'm like, oh, my God. 
I just heard a huge tree break and heavy footfalls. And she looks at me, and she's, a, she's more of a skeptic, you know. And she goes, you're not, you're not supposed to run away from it. You're supposed to run towards it. <laughs> she, she gets out of the truck, and she runs up on this uh, little berm, and she's looking. And, you know, nothing else happens. But she's laughing at me because here I am, this big researcher, and I'm, I'm running, you know, my tail tucked towards the truck. Well, I can't blame you. Something that when big you're is in the truck, running yeah. towards you. It's it's not running towards you to play tag, that's for sure. Yeah. I think we um, actually have and, have a, a copy, uh, or we've got that audio here. Uh, let's go ahead and play that, and you can tell us a little bit about what, what we're listening to. I'm just going to play yeah, the, yeah. the part, the beginning, and then the, the response. Woo! This, and this is the incident you were talking about. You did a vocalization and at a knock, and then about 50 seconds later, you got you had it as the home run knock response. The home run knock. I just I kept filming with my camera, and I had my audio also. It was it was hung in a tree uh, across the creek, closer to what, where the home run knock came from. So I was able to record it on my audio and also my, my cell phone. In that case, no, that that was not that didn't scare me. I've I've heard home run knocks before. You know, more of a tree hitting it. I mean, a, a, a branch hitting a tree. So that was fine. It was later when I've also heard a whoop from the same direction, and I think I overstayed my welcome because I kept knocking, kept whooping it, and sometimes. You know, they're, they're intelligent, so they, they figure out pretty quick. It's not another squatch. It's a person. And I think I pushed my luck, and it it uh, pushed a tree or broke a large branch, and then you heard that, those footfalls. And unfortunately, I didn't record those because I ran, and um, <laughs> I couldn't really pick <laughs> it up. You get my, your own footfalls, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, – and sometimes you do, you, you know, you overstay your welcome. And part of it is I don't want to, you know, disturb them. I don't want to um, agitate them. I, 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 it's more out of curiosity. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the knocks mean. And, um, you know, I have no ill will. My agenda is not to hurt them. It's more to figure out how they communicate and you know, hopefully see one. Yeah, I do want to see one. That'd be nice. Um, but you know, some people say, "Well, why, why bother? Why?" It's part of the research. It's how we learn ways to communicate with them. Um, I would never divulge my location to people that, you know, publicly that would might go hunt them. I would never do anything to jeopardize these creatures. I, I do think that. Um, their life on this planet is, you know, coming to an end because with urban sprawl and, and deforestation, um, I, I don't think they're going to be around much longer, but, you know, another 100 years maybe. I don't know, but it's hard to reproduce. I mean, in Kentucky, we've got isolated forests, and we're building and building and building and building, and we're taking up more and more land where they, they, they're isolated to these pockets. So, it's harder for them to move on and find another clan to reproduce with. 
it would be nice to protect their their habitat. And I got in a discussion with someone someone about that. Like, why do you need to protect them? They're doing great on their own. It's not them. They're they're highly intelligent, so they can avoid us. They've done a, done a great job so far. It's more if we could prove they exist in a certain area, then we could protect their habitat, and that's crucial, I think. Right. I agree with you. And um, like you said, keeping your area kind of on the down low is very important. I know you guys have outings sometimes. Do you take um, expeditions to this particular area, or have you, or would you? Uh, not not this area. Um, there's some other areas I have had expeditions at, but they're it's a it's a larger area, so kind of hard to pinpoint them or lock them down. Where I don't feel I don't feel that, like they, they would be threatened to that that area by by people. And I invite only other researchers or or people that I know that have, you know, good morals and values and wouldn't want to hunt them. So So you vet yeah, you vet the people yeah. that you let into your which is is prudent because it's you get you get yahoos. There is a whole segment of people that that don't share your um approach and are interested in bringing back a a dead specimen. And uh I I fall in the same camp as you do. I you know I tell people that there's really, to prove their existence, it's either going to take a specimen, live or dead, or or a long-term research project where we get you know multiple clear video and and picture and multiple DNA samples that you know that we can attribute to in the same area. It, getting, but I, I don't want to be the guy that brings in the Bigfoot body. That's not my thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think we can do it. We can do it with DNA. We can do it with clear video. We can do it with credible witnesses, um, even like law enforcement, park rangers. I've I've got in my database over 400 uh, reports in, in Kentucky over the last two decades. And every witness that I interview, I try to meet in person. I try to validate their claims, you know, debunk. Was it misidentification? Or that it's just a bogus report or what have you? And I I want to know exactly where these creatures are. And I, I have Google Maps uh, with pins that shows you there's pockets. And these reports, over de- over decades, the, the witnesses describe the creature the same with the same characteristics, the same physical attributes. You know, it was, it was gray in the abdominal region. It had um, a scar. There's one that had a scar on the side of its face that multiple witnesses observed. There's even one in Kentucky. Uh, his nickname is Howdy. Yes, I recall 60s, that. In, in the 60s, a witness described him as walking out of the tree line, raising his hand and then turning and retreating okay fast forward to 2011 uh, two teenagers who just moved here from Kentucky uh, from Florida to Kentucky uh, two young girls 
Jack Smarr with the BFRO took the report. These girls had no idea about Bigfoot, let alone in Kentucky, let alone about Mr. Howdy. Okay, they were oblivious to any of this stuff. And they filed a report that this creature walked out of the tree line. It raised its hand, like as if to say hi, (laughs) and then retreated. So it kind of tells me uh, that these creatures are staying in the general location. It also brings uh, credence to the original report, you know, yes. with them not even knowing that that report even existed or even having cared to know that it existed. That that's pretty um, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I agree, and uh, that's what gets me excited as a researcher. You know, you know, if you interview these very credible witnesses and they 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 take the time to talk to you for over an hour on the phone. They take the time to meet you on location. And they're, you know, they're not getting a penny for this. They're just, they want somebody to believe them of what they saw because nobody else does. And they want to learn more about them. Sometimes if the creature comes around their house, they're concerned and they call us and they'll say, you know, what do I do? I'm worried about my children. And I've, I actually have a couple of reports recently I took of a Bigfoot slapping the side of the house. And in both cases, the parents have small children that would cry at night when they put them to bed. We went out there, we took the reports, and we found the siding about eight foot up, which was cracked, and it's new vinyl siding, and it's kind of hard to crack that stuff. But it was cracked right where the witness said something hit the, hit the side of the house. You know, we hear stories about Bigfoots being curious and they're attracted to children and, and women. And, and I do believe with the children crying in both cases, these two Bigfoots would come up to the house to uh, investigate or maybe they were concerned. But both of these cases are different counties and uh, different, you know, different years. And they're, they're different, actual different Bigfoots. But, they showed that they showed that same behavior of hmm. maybe wow. concern or curiosity. Yeah, and so that was different years and different counties. Like one was in um, 2017, so just last year, and that was in Laurel County in London, Kentucky. And then there's another one, which is many, many miles away. Nicholas County in 2016, completely different parts of the state. And these witnesses described the same type of behavior where the Bigfoot would come around the house. Um, The one lady said it was in her backyard and she looked out the window and it was standing by her above ground pool. And she quickly shut the curtains and ran in the living room and grabbed her, grabbed her pistol and sat on the couch and called her mother who lived nearby and um, the thing let out a big scream, and then it proceeded to hit the side of the house. Wow. That's frightening. I'm sure, I mean, think about it. If Normally what you do when you're scared to death like that is you call 911. Well, she did call the police after she called her mother. And Um, what did they say? Did they come out? They came out. um, 
but no signs. You know, of course, the creature was gone. We went out, I think, the following weekend, like or the next, or that weekend, we went out fairly soon. And the grass, it's really high by the pool. You know, this is, this is country. It's above the ground pool, so the grass is, you know, very dense. And it's, you can see some indentations, but you're not going to find tracks. You know, we... We actually went the direction the creature went, but there was some private property with a with cattle, so we couldn't really get on that property. It's just hard to find evidence after the creatures leave. But like I said, we did find the the broken vinyl siding, which was good. Right. Wow. Well, there is. I mean, that that's something that's reported more than once. One mm-hmm. of the interesting things is. When you talk to researchers in other parts of the country, you find similar reports of, of similar behavior. So you, you kind of get a picture of sometimes what they may be doing, what these you know animals are, when they're around humans, hitting buildings is, is something that is reported and in association with sometimes with, with actual sightings of, of the Bigfoot. So it's very interesting. There's a there's another interesting report I took. Uh, well, actually, Don Neal, he's one of my lead investigators. He took the report. And this is from, let's see, what year was it? It was in the late 90s. And this elderly woman was driving at a country road at 5 a.m. And it was, there was some snow on the ground, so she was driving really slow. And she comes upon a creature in the middle of the road, which she first thought maybe it was a bear or deer, so she stops her vehicle, and it was a Bigfoot laying in the fetal position in the middle of this little country road. And she said it was laying there with his hands over its head like in a ball. And she just watched it. And as she hit her high beams, the creature stood up without using its arms. You know, um, but and again, this lady, she does not believe in Bigfoot. She's never heard all these stories about Bigfoot behavior. It stood up using only its massive legs. And she thought that was unique. And then it it turned at the at the waist. She said it didn't turn its neck. And we all know, you know, they they tend to turn the waist and not turn up the neck. Looked briefly at the car, stuck its arms out in front of it, one arm out before it even started to take a step. Like it reached and started getting the swinging, the swinging motion going before it even started to walk, and it started to walk away off the wood into the woods. And she said it was quick, agile, and it looked like it was gliding the way it walked. And how many times do you hear that? Where it was almost like it was gliding or like it was on skates. And what was crazy about this is this lady again. She doesn't know anything about Bigfoot behavior. And the odd part about laying in the road, I told Donna, I said, gosh, Google that. So he Googles that. He finds one, two, three, four, five, five other Bigfoot reports on the BFRO's website and the Oregon Bigfoot, uh, on their website, of witnesses seeing them laying in the middle of a road like this. And how did this, how did this lady even know that? I mean, if you're going to make something up, it's and I'm wondering why are they laying in the road like that? Have you thought on that? 
Oh yeah, I, I'm thinking the heat from the road. A lot of people. The heat. Yeah, that makes I sense. Kind of, because it was it was winter. There was snow on the ground. Um, it wasn't. You know, people thought, well, maybe it was hit by a car. No, no, no. It it didn't show any signs of injury. You know, walked away fine. But you know the whole um, the 1924 Albert Offman story. You know, the one where he was kidnapped and in a sleeping bag and took back to the you know, the cave with the, the clan of Bigfoots and he was held mm-hmm. hostage. Remember that story? Mm-hmm. I remember his observation. He he observed them sta- standing from a seated position without using their arms. And how impressive that was to stand from a seated position without using your arms. Hmm, that's very true. Sightings. Happened when they they saw them out in the road. Um, I'm, I take it these roads were like not very traveled. Correct. We're talking rural country roads in the middle of nowhere. You know, no cars. So it was, was it six a.m. in the morning? What time was it? Five. Five a.m. So it's still hmm. dark out. Um, you know. Um, there's another one I took just recently in the Daniel Boone National Forest, a very rural area. A school bus driver had just started making his route, and he's coming around a curve, and he thinks he sees a, a deer or something up ahead next to the road, so he slows down, comes to a complete stop, and his headlights are, are right on this, this creature hunched down by the side of the road and he said to his surprise it stood straight up briefly looked in his direction and then spun in one motion spun and walked off into the woods he says of course the largest thing he's ever seen had grayish brown fur uh, the eyes were greenish yellow uh, there's hair on its face about seven foot tall, very large stature, wide at the chest, a typical Bigfoot. And the witness said, I've never had any interest in Bigfoot prior to this incident. But after seeing it, seeing it with my own eyes, it really changes you. What I saw was real. He gets, he gets the bus going again. He goes to pick up the first child who lives right around the corner. And it's some young girl in middle school. And he couldn't wait, you know, he, he just couldn't keep it in. He had to tell her, he goes, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And he told the little girl, you know, what he saw. And guess what the girl says? Um, she says, go ahead, take a guess. What he saw it before. Yes. She goes, we see it all, we see it all the time. Oh, wow. Like nonchalantly, <laughs> huh? Right. Oh, we see it all the time. We see it. Wow. That's an amazing report. And that was Daniel Boone. Forest. Yeah, 2006. Yeah, Pine, Pine Knot, Kentucky. Okay. Uh, 2006. Yeah, that area has a history of reports, doesn't it? The Daniel Boone Forest. Oh yeah, it runs right through the center of Kentucky. I mean. Right. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, Charlie. Um, with your personal experience, I know you guys have taken a lot of reports. The ones. From um, Kentucky specifically, is there a predominant description of these creatures? 
Like, is there a predominant hair color that people are seeing, or does it vary? They see most of them are black, or in a lot of places they're brown. What have you guys found? Uh, we get we get the the whole the gamut. We get we get the reddish brown, which is you know probably probably the most common color, the reddish brown. We get the dark, you know, the black or the dark brown, really dark. But it depends on the lighting. You know, a lot of times you they see them at night and it looks dark, like black or dark brown. But anytime there's any kind of light reflected off it, they they tend to mention a reddish tint to the hair, which you know we know you know all over the country that's kind of the most common color, the reddish brown. And then we get some gray ones. We get we have some white ones as well. And usually those are seen in the same areas. You know, over decades you get the same white one that keeps popping up. So, and you know, and they're typical seven, eight foot tall. We have had a couple that people claim, and based on our our interview, could push over eight foot. But mostly you're looking at seven, eight foot tall. The interesting thing that we get here from close encounters with these creatures is a human, more human-like face. The face is flatter. There's no muzzle. There's a hooded nose, a wide hooded nose. And I would say nine out of ten reports, people say it looks human-like. Mm. Wow. So more so than, a, than, say, a gorilla. I mean, more human-looking right. face and than some, an ape-looking face. Yes, and some, sorry, some gorilla-like features, like the heavy brow, mm-hmm. the sagittal crest, you know, the thin lips, the the wide teeth, canines. A lot of reports of seeing some canines. I just took a report. We did a we did a presentation, and after the presentation, we asked people in the, in the library, "Did you see anything?" And people raised their hand. And this this gentleman. He, uh, this was in Davies County, and he was a young boy at the time, and he shared this story in front of, gosh, 50 people in the crowd, and it was, it was fascinating. So we interviewed him afterwards, but basically, I'll summarize the story. They'd go out at night. They would sneak out of the house, these teenagers, and they'd go for joy rides. Well, they wanted to go back to this house and get some foods, but they didn't want to pull up in the driveway. Now, again, it's a very rural area, so you've got a dirt road in the woods going to a house. So they parked the truck at least 100 yards from the house, and they told the witness, who was the younger brother, you stay in the truck. And he didn't want to stay in the truck. There's not a want you. He goes, no, you stay here. If anything happens, just, just blow, you know, blow the horn. If something happens, but just, just stay here. So he stayed in the truck, and the friends and his brother went up to the house, and as he's sitting there, like a full moon out, by the way, he can see something walking across his field. Mm. And he goes, no, no, I don't, no, maybe that's nothing. He, you know, he's shaking it off like it's nothing. He looks over there again, and through the fog, he sees this person, he thinks it's a person, walking across his field at 1 a.m. You know, and again, it's, there's no houses there, it's just very remote. And he goes, well, maybe they're walking, they're going to walk down the road, and the road 
the road actually um, had a fork in it. So maybe they're going to go the other way and walk down the other side over there, you know, on that side. Well, no, this thing starts walking towards the truck. Oh. And it's coming down the road right towards him. And as it gets closer and closer, he can quickly tell the size of it. And he starts freaking out because the thing's getting right up in front of the truck. Got all the lights off of the truck. The truck's not running. So there's no headlights. There's no interior lights. But he can see it because of the full moon. And it gets right up in front of the truck, and he panics, and he just lays on the horn. The creature puts its hands over its ears and lets out this scream. And when it does that, the kid freaks out, and he slides down into the um, floorboard of the truck. You know, and he's shaking. He's like, oh, my God. And he, The creature walks around the truck. He feels the truck shake, the entire truck shake. So he, the, the kid gets up and looks in the rear of your mirror, and you can see the legs of it's in the back of the truck, the pickup truck. It's a 1964 Falcon pickup truck. And he can see its legs. And then as he's sitting there, he, he hears the thing reach over, arm on the windshield of the truck, and smacks the windshield of the truck. And he can see its arm, this massive arm on the windshield of the truck. And he can actually see the, the perspiration through the hair on its skin. It had black fingernails. How many times you hear that, right? They got black wow. fingernails. And so then he, he's freaking out. He, he ducks back down in the floorboard. And then he looks over to the driver's window, which is rolled up. The creature sticks its head down and looks in the window at him. And he said, that, he said I was already shocked. I was already, like, about to lose it. And when I looked at its face, he goes, it had a calm human-like face, almost like I'm not going to hurt you. The eyes and the, the mouth and the nose, he said it, it didn't look angry. It didn't look like something that was going to kill me. It just looked more like you're okay, I'm not going to hurt you. And it, it cracked open its mouth, and he can actually see the canines on both sides, and the saliva spread. You know how you open your mouth if it's real dry and you have saliva in it? He can actually yeah. see the saliva spread between the teeth. I'm trying to think if, the, if, if right at that time, I think his brothers and friends were coming down the, the road and the creature jumped out of the truck and ran off. And, of course, when his brother and the friends got there, the kid was in shock. They actually took him in the house. And um, it was an amazing story, though. But we get a lot of reports. They're, they're rare, but when you get that close face-to-face encounter. I mean, he said it was 16 to 18 inches from its face. Oh, my God. That's like a horror horror story. Is the person okay? <laughs> I mean, did, did yeah, they have... Yeah, now. Yeah. This, this happened in 1968. He doesn't share the story often because people don't believe him. You know, his wife has known him her entire life, and his wife said whatever. He's a very straight, honest man, and whatever you say, you can take to the bank. I mean, he's he would never make this up, and let alone make it up in front of a, a crowd of people. Um, his his video is on our website. If you go to our website under videos, you could hear his testimony. Let, tell our listeners, um, what is your website address? Uh, KentuckyBigfoot.com. KentuckyBigfoot.com. 
Okay. And there's a ton of reports, and and then you you post things when you guys have outings as well. Check out all their their investigations, and and there's a ton of reports there. And uh, Charlie, are, are all the reports that are on your website from Kentucky specifically, or do you do investigations in neighboring states, or? We we do do a few in neighboring states. I like to specialize in Kentucky just because I don't have <laughs> we don't have time uh, to check out all the other reports. Right. Uh, we have enough enough going on here, but we have taken reports from the neighboring states uh, as well. So it, it depends. Most I'll tell you this: all the reports I take are Class A. I, I use the term that. The BFRO coin mm-hmm. uh, visual encounters, daytime visual encounters. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time with the, the audio. You know, somebody heard a howl. You know, it, it, without recording the howl, there's no way to know if it's a coyote or a bobcat or a fox. So, we don't spend a lot of time with those reports. What, what right, are some, right. that makes sense. some of the, some of the processes that you use? In your own research, or if somebody were to bring you uh, a recording of of some unusual they, something they thought was unusual, do you have a process in place to to vet that that stuff? Do you use Sonic Visualizer, or do you tell, tell me a little bit about, about that? Well, if if I, if I um, someone sends me audio, I'll listen to it first, and if I think it's legit. Um, there's a gentleman in the BFRO, Mongola Gila. He's on Facebook. Uh, Sasquatch Bioacoustics is his uh, blog, and he's been doing it for years. He's a a crypto linguist, uh, similar to Scott Nelson. He's been, um, I think, at the Air Force for many many years. Well, anyway, he's turned Bigfoot researcher, and he's taken practically every famous audio clip that you've, you've heard on the internet and he's analyzed them, categorized them, quantified them, and he'll put them in Audacity, which is that free software, which I have to do, and he'll, he'll look at the waveform, he'll tell you about the pitch, and he'll tell you that's, you know, not an owl, that's not a coyote, it's not a bobcat, mm-hmm. that's more typical of a Bigfoot that's recorded in Ohio or California, and it matches these other vocalizations, and so he'll he'll be my my go-to guy usually, because uh-huh. um, he's an expert with audio. So I'll I'll use him a lot. Yeah, we have a couple. I mean, we have David Ellis out on the West Coast, as where well as a uh, good friend Larry Turner does uses like Sonic Visualizer to. And after after you do it for a while, you get familiar with what you know signatures are are known animals and what. I guess we refer to it as suspect because short of seeing a Bigfoot make a particular vocalization and recording it, it's hard for me to say, oh, that was Bigfoot made that that particular vocalization. We get suspect stuff right. that doesn't fit any known animal. And you, you know, you can go and look at the Macaulay Library of Sounds and find all kinds of animal sounds to compare to. But yeah, that. so that, I mean, there is a process for, for folks that isn't, there's a lot of research that goes on. People come back with stuff and says and and deem it as as Bigfoot because they they didn't know what else it was. 
and your your organization is one of those that that does it the right way and actually vets the the information. Doesn't you don't you guys don't run the, to Facebook and and post things as stating them definitively as this is big. I was out this weekend and, and Bigfoot screamed at me, you know. So right. that there <laughs> there is some vetting that has yeah. to go on. So oh yeah, Charlie's group is is one of the the better mm-hmm. ones out there, I think, personally. And the way that you guys do your investigating and the way you present your potential evidentiary, you know, audios and your stories that people tell you is just a, a huge inspiration for myself and a lot of other people. So, you know, I just want to let you guys know that you're doing a great job. Well, well thank you. And, you know, I've learned also over the years, whenever you post something, as possible evidence, you know, you have to use those adjectives as, you know, possible or suspect or unique or, you know, <laughs> you can't just ever say it's definite uh, Bigfoot. You've got to say, um, here's something that was recorded that was, um, you know, out of the ordinary and doesn't sound like any known animal and let well, people make make the judgment. Right. And that's as Bigfoot researchers, how would you describe yourself as a researcher? What what would you say that your role is in Bigfooting? Um, a researcher, investigator, uh, detective. I probably specialize more in the the witness uh, interrogation. Uh, the, uh-huh. I have a degree in psychology, so mm-hmm. um, here's a couple things and people <laughs> don't realize. You know, people think if a witness exaggerates the story, they're they're lying immediately, or they're laughing. You know, they're they're lying. No, most people, when you tell a story, you tell it to an audience. Whether you're telling it to one person, or whether you're telling it to a group of people, you have an audience, and you tend to want to sell your story to that audience, especially. If it's a remarkable story about seeing, you know, a Bigfoot. So, yes, you'll tend to exaggerate and say it was this big or this wide. And it, you know, doesn't mean they're lying. That's just human nature. You want people to accept the story. So you have to, as as an investigator detective like myself, you have to take all that in and you have to narrow it down to the facts of what they actually saw. And, you, you know, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can ask open-ended questions, just simply, what did you see? Let them tell you everything. You could ask, you know, lead, leading questions where you try to get them to lie and, and see if they're making the entire story up. And right away, you know, if, we're, if we have some common sense and, about us, we can tell if this person's lying. We, you know, all of us, you know, have done this a long time, so we know typical Bigfoot behavior and descriptions and so forth. So you can kind of figure that out, you know, fairly quick if the person's lying. One of the interesting questions that comes up for me is you've interviewed literally hundreds of, of witnesses. When, the, when people go to, they, they bring up the woo side, you know, the Bigfoot is interdimensional. How many of your, of the hundreds of people that you've interviewed, how many of those would you attribute to had woo aspects to them? 
Not not many. Very, very little. I do take a few. And I, I'll tell you this. I mean, these things, you know, they're highly intelligent. They, they've avoided this, avoided us for centuries. They adapted their senses through adaptation over thousands of years. Their senses are much more keen than ours. Their sense of smell and their eyesight, hearing, etc. You know, they're, I forgot the researcher um, who once said, they're the ninjas of the forest. So Mm -hmm. they have the upper hand. So they can avoid us fairly easy. So if you happen to see one, if you blink your eye, if you turn to tell your friend, oh, my gosh, look over there, and it's gone, it doesn't mean, in my opinion, <laughs> it, it cloaked. It, it, you know, with the mind speak, yeah, people believe that or they can communicate telepathically. And maybe they could. Maybe they've advanced far enough. We have, you know, we have people uh, that law enforcement use to find missing people that can – there's p- parts of our brain that we have not tapped into. So maybe they can do that. I don't know about that. I do know your, your conscious, consciousness and your fight or flight, if you feel creeped out and you're in the area where it's dark and you hear noise and you think there's a Bigfoot there and you get creeped out and you hear this voice in your head, I'm not so sure that's the fight or flight. I, you know, I don't know if that's mind speak. I don't know about all that, but, there's, there's a few reports I've taken, and most of them are, I would say, with orbs in the same area. And I just took one from a, a pretty credible researcher in an area where there's, there's known to be Bigfoots in this area. And he goes, Charlie, as I was leaving, it looked like a glowing ball of light only a few feet from the ground, and it was right where the tree knock was come. And it just was going backwards. It was it was going away from me. When I looked across, looked over there, and I goes, I, I I can't imagine there was a person with a flashlight because this is it's a very remote area. I would have seen it didn't look like a flashlight with a beam of light. You know, you could tell a flashlight when someone's using mm-hmm. a flashlight because it did not look like that. It looked like a bubble, or just a glow. I have another good friend who's a UPS pilot. He's an Air um, U.S. Marshal. Very intelligent gentleman with the BFRO at a Bigfoot hotspot. We had activity. He was with another group of people. He said, in the woods, it looked like this glowing ball of light. It got larger, and then it shrunk back down. He goes, I've never seen that before. I don't believe in the woo stuff and all that, but I'll just tell you what I saw. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> To be honest, if, I guess if there's one aspect of what it is defined as woo, I, I I actually did a presentation a while back about to, for folks in Portland about they called it Bigfoot's brain, and at the time I was I was dealing with with how uh, some friends of mine were having had reported some weird stuff. If there's one aspect of woo that that I could like not throw out um, very easily, it, it could be te- telekinesis. Just because that that to me is if humans can do it, then it's kind of a matter matter of physiology. You know, if we have that right. that's up and maybe maybe another species has has done a better, you know, job of of utilizing that because 
of the, the way their culture is. We don't tend don't to uh, promote that as something that we encourage our kids to, you know, we, right. we put it off to their imagination or whatever. I, I could I could buy, you know, I I don't know. I've never had – my, my question is just that, you know, they're either one way or they're, they're another and that the vast majority of reports that I've ever thought – I've never ran into anybody that I personally took a report from that that recorded – Record anything that was other than could be explained through normal earthbound animal, and you've taken enough reports that really very few of them have that an aspect of that to it. So it, it's interesting to me that certain people have that that experience, report that experience over and over again. Uh, that to me makes it sound the the logical thing is it's the person who is experiencing that, not the, and it isn't necessarily a Bigfoot related thing. Right. Charlie, we're just yeah. about I, out of I time. Agree. So I, I really appreciate you. This hour went by really fast. Um, I appreciate what you do out there and, and keep up the good work. And thanks for joining us today on Monster X Radio. We'll have to have you back again. Again, folks, go check out the Kentucky Bigfoot Research Organization's website for more information at www.kentuckybigfoot.com. If you had a report, go there and you can and share that. Maybe Charlie will personally come out and investigate your report. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Julie, for joining joining us today. And Charlie, again, we'll be back with uh, more Monster X Radio next week. And folks, if you haven't already, go to our website www.monsterxradio.com and register for cool Monster X prizes and more information on our upcoming Monster exclusive membership opportunity. So thanks everybody again for joining us. We'll catch you again later. Radio.